0: Well, that's oh, is a wonderful thing. California? That's, that's, that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. Man, we have a, a great show lined up, man. Who do we have today?
1: Yes, we do. We got Miss or Ms. Vicki Claflin. And, Vicki, I'm going to apologize because I want to be able to pronounce your name right, and I don't know how to say it right. So, <laughs> um,
2: i Everybody here? says that it's. Klaflin, yes, I am. Did I get it right? You did. It was perfect. Oh my goodness, oh,
1: perfect! <laughs> That's the first time today I've heard that word "perfect" in, in reference to me. That's pretty good. <laughs> How are you One doing, Vicky? I got
0: it right the first time. You did not <laughs>
1: right. You let me say it and then you took mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was sitting over here uh, trying to figure out. You know. Um, what Vicky was going to call her next book, you know, uh, I like the title mm-hmm. "Who Left the Cork Out of My Lunch," but for the for the West Coast, you got to write something like "Who Left the re- the Rolling Papers Out of Your Lunch."
2: Well, <laughs> I could, but I might have a hard time getting that past my publisher. <laughs> well, Vicky, we're glad to have you with us today.
1: Yeah, um, could you could you start you. by just Saying a little bit about this book and uh, what 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 drove
2: you to create it. Well, the book the book is it's called, of course who left the cork out of my lunch, and it's a it's a compilation of humorous essays for midlife women say women fifty and over about the funny things about aging in a society that worships youth, basically. So, because you know, it's a hard time. It can be a very difficult time for some women, and and we need to find the funny in it. It it makes it easier and more fun, and and we don't need to be 21. And so, it it appeals mostly to to women that are probably 50 and older, like me.
1: You're older than 50.
2: I'm going to be 60 in four months. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank
1: you you're, you're still the youngest person on this show
0: So, <laughs>
1: so you're okay well, You better quit <laughs> well, I haven't Matt, been the youngest Matt, person on this show for
0: a while Matt just over there Just smitching. <laughs> he just over there Just telling
1: That's my job
0: <laughs>
1: Mickey I have a question I, I'm i really interested in this um, The topic Mastering midlife like a ninja that, I think that is such mm-hmm. a Creative title I I just loved it when I saw it. So I, Thank we you. got to talk to this lady. I thought that was creative. So, what do you want to tell us about mastering midlife like a ninja?
2: Well, I think you have to, and like I say, it's difficult for women in this society because we are a society that's very youth obsessed. And so, when you get to the point where you have all this incredible experience and and all this this. Time behind you that, that makes you a, this fountain of wisdom or whatever. We're not we young anymore. So it, you know, youth is wasted on the young. That's kind of how we feel sometimes. But women at, at midlife tend to feel start to feel irrelevant and they start to feel invisible uh-huh. because they're not young yeah. anymore. So I'm saying right. to people, we've got to just take this aging thing and kick it in the butt and, and own it and say, you know, we aren't defined by our youth. That's that's crazy. When you're young, you're young. When you when you're 50 and 60, youth has left the building. And it's not coming back. So there's, we can't spend the next 20 years chasing what we'll never get back. We need to celebrate what's happening with us now and how how fabulous we are now. So that's what I try to get across to people. is, And it starts, to me, it starts with being able to laugh at yourself and laugh at the process and, and take the seriousness out of the aging process. I mean, thank God we're aging, and what's the other alternative? But it's... You know it's meant to be I just I to me humor is a path to all good things. So I just want well, to offer I, I up some the funny that. things that, Yeah. I want them so to, be, I, to be able to read my book and feel fabulous.
0: Vicky, let me ask you a question. What what do you think sure. um, get women to that point? Um do you contribute this to I guess past relationships that um trying to formulate my question correctly you know because what i see in a lot of guys you know we've done a lot of shows and different relationships and stuff and there's a lot of guys that complain that they've been with uh their significant other over the years and for some reason they got comfortable in their situation and kind of let themselves go or Mm -hmm. their relationships beat them down and once Mm -hmm. that's over now um your book here, I can see where it would be helpful to help, you know what I mean, reinvigorate these people mm-hmm. because there's a lot of women that's coming absolutely. out of
2: situations. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, you I know, I hope that made sense. I was
0: trying to put it together it from is. a man's perspective. You know
2: what I mean? <laughs> well, you know, think about this too. When when men go through their little midlife thing, you guys get Ferraris and young girlfriends. When we go through our little midlife thing, we get chin hair and back fat and. And dooby boobs, you know. It seems like it's not fair. So,
3: uh,
2: it's, you know, well, and then women are defined in two ways. If you if you go after looking young, and you get you know this done and that done, everybody says you're vain and shallow. And if you just go natural, now you're letting yourself go. So it's, now, is, you have to navigate that line, and for women, it's very hard.
0: I don't have nothing against the cougar movies. I'll be watching. <laughs>
2: Those cougar women are 30, sweetie. You guys should go up another decade or two.
0: Oh, okay.
2: So, it, a pretty Uh-oh. easy just, at 30. I wish LeBron you guys quit busting me out You
0: thought cougar
3: started at 60.
1: No, <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. I, wish,
0: I wish you guys quit trying to bust me out today.
1: <laughs> I got stuck way back there at the chin here, man. That was like... That was a powerful statement right there. I, I think that huh. this whole idea of invisibility is really powerful, uh, Vicky. I mm-hmm. I think it it's is. excruciatingly painful for someone, um, a woman or a man. But in this case, we're talking about women. It has to be very painful to 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 feel like you're not seen anymore.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's a, a woman who, up until then, has felt pretty or desirable or attractive or whatever adjective yes. she likes to use, but um, mm-hmm. suddenly you're not, you know, the, your you know, son, 27 year old son's boy, guy friends aren't looking at you like, oh, dude, your mom is hot, they're like helping you with your groceries, you know, and looking ah. the other way, and I was on a plane, I went to a writer's conference um, about a month ago, and I was on a six hour flight on the way back, and I was sitting on the aisle, and there's this young guy that looked about like my son's age, probably late 20s, Who's sitting in the middle seat? And he was really. And We got this great conversation going, and then along comes the girl that's sitting by the window, and she's in college, and she's got the blonde hair and the gazelle legs and whatever. And I spent the next five hours talking in the back of this guy's head, because he didn't look at me again for. I mean, he didn't even finish the conversation before he turned around and started talking to her. And it, you know, and rightfully so, they were the same age, but it still made me feel like I was just dismissed. And it, you know, that's that's not fun. So I had to make a had to make a story out of it make it funny but it it was it was a shining example of what happens to women when they get over 50.
1: Very good point and I think uh, what was also going there on there is that he was missing out on something really special to get to know you I mean you're a person who's got a rich background in all kinds of interesting parts of your life and he turned to somebody that looked younger who has to
3: have,
1: has to be a less interesting person all around.
2: Well, and you know, I, I she think... was 12. So she was probably <laughs> probably 24. She has not live long <laughs> enough to be interesting. So.
0: <laughs> there, there's there's well a whole cool. group of guys out here, and I don't even want to say 50%, that I don't even want to deal with a woman in their same age group because they feel like the woman their same age know as much as they do, and they're kind of stuck Mm -hmm. right there. So then they would want to go to an older woman that would have more to offer mentally Mm -hmm. um, with experience and everything else. Now, the, the flip side of that is a lot of times when women get to 50 years and plus, even in relationships, mm-hmm. they feel like I've been with this guy, so, you know, he's just got to love me for who and what I am. And even you heard some, mm-hmm. some Oprah shows, you've seen that too. Uh, and seem seemed like both parties, you know, the woman just, for whatever reason, uh, I didn't gain 40, 50 other pounds that I didn't have when mm-hmm. we got into this, but I don't care nothing about that. He's just got to love me. I'm not going to try to go to the gym. I'm not going to try to work out. And same with, same with the fellas. You know, the woman didn't sign up for that, but the guy basically just didn't let himself go because he didn't go through his midlife, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Now his, stom- his stomach is hanging all over the couch. Yeah. But then he got a problem when his woman is looking at these all these guys as fit on TV.
2: I saw an Oprah show a few years ago that just cracked me up. It was on wives who had let themselves go, and their husbands were in the audience. And these women, they looked okay. I mean, they were decidedly middle-aged, but they weren't, you know, huge or homely. Or they, I mean, they looked fine. Well, the men stood up to, to say why they wanted their wives to get a makeover, and they were in little singlet T-shirts, and they were fat, and they had balding, and they were, I'm saying, like, are you serious? Are you serious? And that she let herself go. I'm thinking, probably following you. So,
0: I mean, it was... Yes. Good point,
3: good point. I think point. One, of the point. Of,
2: one of the dangers of long-term marriage is that we do get comfortable and we do get, you know, it, it takes, the mystery sort of goes away. And, you know, when I talk to people who have had affairs in their relationships, because I talk to people about their relationships all the time, and people tell you the most amazing things. But when the subject of affairs comes up, it's, it's that snapshot moment. I mean, anybody can smell good and be wonderful and interesting and fascinating three hours a week. But it's hard when you're living with somebody and you're raising kids and taking care of sick dogs and empty nesting and going through menopause. And it's hard to be date weight all the time, you know. So I think women get frustrated trying to be like they were when they were young and single and hot and didn't have a care in the world and then 30 years later be married to the same guy. So it's, you know, and, and then those women are often looked at as they've let themselves go. I think they just got tired. So one yeah, them, I talk about right. that, you know, in my book and just say, you know, you've got to find a way to bring some of the mystery back, bring some of the, he doesn't need to see you do every little thing that got you gorgeous. You know, he doesn't need to see us plucking our little chin hairs and shaving our legs and just exfoliating our bodies. They just don't need the visual. So, I mean, it, it, it sounds kind of shallow, but I, I hear that from people all the time. Is, you know, we're we're just so comfortable. I feel like I'm married to my brother. I said well that's a really get a really less bad
1: place to be that's a bad place to be in, so. in a relationship and um in in the in the business that I'm in uh, working with couples we call that habituation of getting trapped in the habits mm-hmm. of life, and you start mm-hmm. you you get to the place where you don't see each other anymore and you just see. well i think
2: the, yeah I think people one of the one of the best pieces of advice I got many years ago was that to view the marriage as a third party, you know, maybe you don't want to do something or he doesn't want to do something, but the marriage needs it done. So That's a because good point. you know, it's like we go to school to learn how to, you know, clean teeth or whatever it is we want mm-hmm. to do. Nobody goes to marriage school, and so we just kind of we kind of do it as we go. And um, and I have a a lot of marriage advice um, essays in the book that are just fun and they're they're irreverent. And they've got my goofy sense of humor on them, but. But people always write back to me and say, you know, it was really funny, but there was so much truth in there. So, it's you know, that's I like the the marriage, the marriage advice columns have been some of my most successful ones because I think it's there's lots of questions out there. We don't know how to make it work, <laughs> but well, while, while, you, we're learning.
1: Vicki, do you mind saying a little bit more about this uh, this idea that you don't have to be young to have your best possible life? I thought that was a great. Mm-hmm statement that you made here
2: well it's a, I, when i was at that writers conference i heard one of the keynote speakers was kathy kinney and she played mimi and drew carey if you ever watch that show she had all the blue eyeshadow on whatever she's mm-hmm. absolutely hilarious and she said her exact quote out of her b- recent book was you don't have to be 21 to have your whole life ahead of you and i think that goes back again to the concept of of middle age being a time of of checking out and no longer being relevant and no longer being seen and no longer being sexy and no longer being, you know, it just, that's just so crazy. We're, we are hot. We are, we're smart. We're educated. We're experienced. We're traveled. I mean, it just, you know, one of the sayings is my favorite one and I have it on my mirror and in my office. It says 50 is the new 25, but with brains and money. (laughs) <laughs> so I just tell women, just, you know, go out there and be amazing. You that's weren't amazing one, at 24. Yeah. You had not live long enough to be amazing at 24. You may be gorgeous, but you're not amazing. Amazing is something oh, you have to you that one. That, that was a good one. I definitely can agree with that. That was
1: a good that. line. That was a good line. <laughs> 50,
0: say it again. Say
1: it again.
2: It says, 50 is the new 25, but with brains and money.
1: Oh, that's good. I like that one. That's a really good line. I I think that this this is a this is a beautiful concept and it and it's very timely and I'm hoping that this kind of information really gets out to a lot of people, obviously to women, but to men also and and given that a lot of our listeners are men, I'm wondering if 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 men are out there right now and they they have at least a little bit of an open mind to what you're saying, what do you think you would want them uh, to be thinking from this conversation? What what would you like for the men listening to pay special attention to?
2: Well, that's funny that you should bring that up because when I first started doing my marriage advice columns, they were, they were written for women, but basically they were about the man. They were about what their husbands can do to not screw up Valentine's Day or whatever, or miss her birthday, uh-huh. or how to apologize to her. And, and it was funny because I have, a, I have a smaller group of but very, very verifous readers of, of the male persuasion, and several of them got together and said, you know, hey, 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 we read your blog and we read your posts and you're hilariously funny, but what about us? How come you never write anything about what you guys can do that, that irritate us, and we really like you to stop doing, preferably today.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I said, well, I can do that. So there's uh, there's a few in there that are geared towards the men, and just it's you know it's pretty much the same advice. People are people everywhere, but you know, but in it but it's in reverse. Just you know take time to to listen to her. There's certain ways of apologizing. There's certain ways of not apologizing, even though you say you are. There's you know when she says when she says not tonight, dear, I have a headache. Maybe there's more to it than that. Because unless she's prone to headaches, she doesn't have one. So why is she saying that? Uh, uh-huh. So we, I give them those kind of advice columns. And, and I've had several emails from, from guys that just said, oh, <laughs> that's what's wrong. I said, yeah, maybe. If you haven't told her you loved her since the day you got married, yeah, that could be a problem. Wow. So I'm developing a male readership, which is which that's has been good. really fun for me. Yeah. So, yeah, they can certainly buy the book. Or I, a lot of my female readers say, you know, I printed this one out and put it in my husband's briefcase because I wanted to read it or I read it to him myself last night before I went to bed or any of that kind of stuff. So what I found really fun is that this book is being shared by married couples.
1: That's a good idea. Do you do you ever mm-hmm. recommend that they read it together at the oh, same absolutely. time, I mean?
2: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think they'd howl. I mean, they just, that's what... This one woman emailed me and she said, we, we sat up in bed and I, I read, read in one of your posts and we were laughing so hard. He said, well, give me another one. Give me another one. So she said, now every night we pick one out and read it. And
1: oh, good so idea. So she said, he just
2: thinks you're hilarious. So it's, just, it's a funny way of, of introducing common sense. That's, I just tell people my book is a, it's a combination of laughter and common sense and it's just you know delivered in my goofy voice.
1: Lamont, I think I cut you off there a minute ago. Did you have something you wanted to say?
2: Well, I just
0: wanted to, you know, Vicki to give us a couple of examples, um, you know, out of her book. Um, how some of these women can fix some of these things, you know, when they have some of these mm-hmm. crises, you know. Um, what do they do? I mean, they make fun of themselves and make, make fun of the situation or what?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I I offer that up because sometimes the the best way to get people to laugh at themselves, which I think is important, you need the whole menopause, middle age, marriage thing needs a sense of humor desperately. And I think sometimes when people don't know where to start because maybe they've got whatever anger issues or unresolved hostility issues or boredom or whatever, then part of the book is my personal most embarrassing moments. And I just hurl them out there into cyberspace for people to read and make fun of me and laugh, and and that's and I don't care. I think that's great. They have to start laughing at something, so maybe I can be that something. And then when they realize that the world doesn't come to an end because they laughed at something silly, then they'll, maybe it'll happen to them next week, and they'll go, Oh God, this happened to Vicky. I read it in her book. Oh, you're right. It's funny. So it's I'm trying to sort of share the uh-huh. share the laughter and, and get women to just lighten up a little bit. You know. My mother always says, in 50 years we'll all be dead and none of this will matter. So you may as well go through it having fun because, you know, we're not at 50 or 60, or we're not middle-aged anymore. Unless you're going to live to be 120, 60 is not middle age. middle age was 40. So now we have to find a place here in this culture that's obsessed with 22-year-olds and and feel good about ourselves and, and feel it isn't about our weight, and it isn't about whether or not you get Botox. It's not It's not about those things. Those are superficial, and they're great, and I believe in all of them, but that's not going to define you. And that's the hard thing, is to, to let go of the of the youth baton and concede that it's gone, and all the plastic surgery in the world is not going to move to 25 again. So, so let's Vicki, celebrate this Vicki, I time.
1: Want, I want to ask you a question, I based on what you were just saying. I live... My office is in Boca Raton, Florida I don't know if you're familiar with Boca But um, it's very (laughs) affluent Very affluent Mm -hmm. Um, We're about 45 minutes north of Miami Um, And a lot of women People, men and women here But particularly women Spend a lot of money on Botox And I was wondering Mm -hmm. what You just mentioned it You just used the word Botox a second ago And Mm -hmm. I just wondered What's your advice to women about that?
2: Oh, I mean, I love Botox personally. I think it's fabulous. Um, it's, it's so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think all of that stuff is if you want it and you can afford it, fine. But I, I think just, just ask yourself what you're trying to accomplish and why why it's important to you. I like it because it makes me look less, more rested, and it uh-huh. takes, I have one of those deep furrows between my eyebrows that makes me always look slightly pissed off. So I don't like that. I I want laugh lines I love, but the the thing in the middle of my forehead, no, I don't like that. So she So it makes you more and relaxed, no. less
1: pissed
3: off, huh? That's
1: funny.
2: Yeah, exactly. More relaxed, less pissed <laughs> off. People are so much nicer to me. But uh, you know, I like that. And so but if a woman said to me and they have, well, uh, I would never have injectables. Fine. You know, if you don't well, if you don't want to do that, don't do that. You know, if you don't want if you don't like porn, don't watch it. So it's like if you don't like Botox, don't get it. And that's I. I don't think it saves anybody's self-esteem. It's not like I'm I'm more confident. I was confident before. I just re- didn't like looking pissed off. So, you know, you ask yourself why you're doing it, and then if it's if it's a good, healthy reason, and you've got the money, absolutely.
1: Well, I tell you, that's the first time what, I've ever heard anybody give that reason. I think it's a good one.
0: <laughs> what do you think about women doing liposuction over 50?
2: Oh, I think why not? You know, I just, I don't know. I, the, whole, the whole plastic surgery thing is just the, the kernel in the middle of the, of the whole discussion is why are you doing it? If you're doing it because you want people to think you're 10 years younger than you are, mm, you're not going to be pleased because, the, you know, it, plastic surgery is usually one place. Botox is usually on the face. What are you going to do about the rest of your 60-year-old body? If your face doesn't yeah, match your body, point. you may as well wear a big sign that says, "Gee, I've had something done." You know, or if your boobs <laughs> are up around your clavicles and they don't move when you lay down, those aren't yours. So, and maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. I don't know.
1: Mm. So, I, so tell me, do you have do you have similar advice to men about that about uh, Botox and and no, uh, plastic done surgery? No, pl-
2: I have I I've got one in my mental queue, but I haven't approached that one yet because I'm still having to get past all the women that wrote in and said, I can't believe you should think I should get Botox. I didn't say you should get Botox. I said, Mm -hmm. why not? So, And I live in a little town in Oregon. I'm not sure if all the orchardists and wineries here are ready for me to tell men to get Botox. But I think that absolutely, if they want it. I was thinking about
1: what you said about the story where the men were talking about how they wanted their women to look better and then the men stood up and they mm-hmm. looked like they need all the more help than the women did. So <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if you gave advice in the other direction. Cause I'm, you know, where I live, the men do it probably as much as the women do. And I've just been curious about that. It's, well, it's a little scary average, to me.
2: Yeah. I think average male America and you know, rural America and all these other places, I live in a real small town and, and I think it's, there's not the expectations on men in our culture as there are on women to stay forever young. Men, you look at the movie stars that are men. I mean, these guys are in their seventies and eighties and their, their co-stars are 30. It just, and nobody thinks that's weird, but if it was a 30 year old man and in a 75 year old woman, we'd think they're both crazy. Women are expected to age better than men are expected to age. So when you guys get, you know, a little chunky monkey and, Whatever, and the hair falls out, and the skin starts looking a little weathered. Everybody says, "Oh, he's so sophisticated; he looks like Sean Connery." We get lined and a little droopy, and whatever, and everybody says, "Oh my God, she looks like Drew Carey." You know, and that's not that's not fair, but that's that's the <laughs> reality of it. So we're just we're not allowed to age. So we just put us in a jar and just keep us twenty five forever.
1: Lamont is laughing because he's still out there. Yeah, hair.
2: Vicky, there's
0: some men out what? there that give. There's some men out there. Come on, we can't condemn all the guys. Now i got to play the little devil's advocate No, here. I'm not. I'm there's, not. I'm there's, some, there's some men out there that appreciate the woman that's a little chunky but that's making an honest effort not to get over chunky.
2: Yeah, well, that's, I mean, bootylicious is a word for a reason. So, uh, mo- uh, most men I've met would say if their wives gained 10 pounds, they they would think it was cool. So uh, Did we, she women? bootylicious?
0: Not if she weighed 280 already.
2: Well, that's, you're absolutely. What I'm saying is the average man that I've talked to, I will limit that, <laughs> says that he, would, he wouldn't he mind more curves on his wife. W- women tend to be the ones that... that Define the weight thing. It's just, you know, and I realize that I mean, you're going to have callers that say, oh, my God, she was so general. She was so sexist. I'm, I know I'm making general statements, but in our time constraints, I have to just sort of throw it out there. But if we had all day to talk about this, I could get more specific. But by and large, my personal experience with men is that they like their wives a little heavier than their wives think they should be. Well, I
1: read I read some research. Maybe you can use it. I can't remember where I read it, but it was like in the last couple of years that said marriages do better when the woman is a little thinner than the man.
3: I thought that was
1: really interesting. So it Uh, doesn't matter how thin she is, as long as she's a little thinner than he is, he's okay. Well, I think
2: that sometimes for uh, for uh, we because women don't a lot of the women that I've talked to don't like to be bigger than their husbands. It's, it's not harder on him. It's harder on her. And I, yeah. my first husband... And he better
0: love me the way him. I am. Yeah. Even if I weigh 400 no. pounds, he better just love <laughs> no, me the way I am.
2: No, no, no. No, when I was, was married to my last husband, he was about my size. And I still remember crystal clear, like it happened yesterday, he was taking some clothes out of the dryer and he held up a pair of jeans and said, are these yours or mine? I said, no, oh, God. I'm the same size as my husband, <laughs> so it's like—I mean, I still—that is seared into my brain, and it was like 30 years ago. So, oh boy. but it seems, we don't want to be bigger than our husbands. It just seems like it just is somehow karmically wrong. I don't know why.
0: Well, Funny. it couldn't be none of that macaroni and cheese at 11 o'clock at night, could it?
2: No, nothing has calories after midnight. In midnight to 6 a.m. free zone. You didn't know that? <laughs> no calories you know, two in the morning.
1: Lamont, did you know, you know, you probably read that she said that she used to live on macaroni and cheese.
2: I did for two years. Wow. Because it was cheap. I was single and I had lots of other things to spend my money on, so <laughs> it was just cheap. <laughs> So I got more nutrition when I was dating. I just every time they said what do you want to do, I said dinner would be nice.
3: So I just, <laughs> that's how I ate.
2: But I was young. You know, can Vicky, do that kind of craziness when you're young.
1: Vicki, you added something to our template when we were asking for information that's not on there, and I was thinking about adding it because I thought you gave some interesting ideas. You said five things you might not know about me, and that's one that you put down there. Of course, you know that. But you
2: mm-hmm. said you lived
1: on macaroni and cheese every period, single period, day, period. Yep.
2: <laughs> yes. A craft dinner, a vodka craft dinner was like 35 cents, and it lasted three days. So I oh had no God. budget from no budget for food. I used my my stove to dry my bras, and I just have there was never any food in there. So, mm. so wow. I just, you know, wow. I just went out to dinner on my dates. It worked.
0: <laughs> and now well, you're a critically acclaimed author. Yeah, Macaron- that's, yeah that's, that's, that's a book right macaroni there.
2: And for is. Macaroni and that cheese. is a book. That's my new book title, yeah, the author yeah. in in 40 easy years.
1: So since we're into your past, Vicky, what, what did you do before you were a writer?
2: And uh, when did you well, start writing? I, well, I've been writing forever but not seriously or, or publishing anything. I, but I spent the last probably 30 years or or more in the beauty industry in either retail or sales training. Because I've been a public speaker for since high school, um, but I spent many years doing doing sales training to for Estee Lauder and Clinique and some of the heavy hitters. So that's that's wow. sort of my background. But yeah, and I wrote all all my own presentations and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, and then I I just started writing probably seriously four years ago, my early fifties. Oh really? Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. So you've been you've been pretty prolific since then. You've been doing a lot of right. Yeah, wandering. that's what
2: people say. I've done two books, and I've got one more in the queue in the last two years.
1: Well, um, there's there's another question I have. And now we're talking boomer women. So you you're talking about mm-hmm. baby boomers who are um, what age? Around fifty or so. You're thinking?
2: Yeah, round fifty and and on sixties, seventies. That's kind of okay, my so market group
1: so if if those women are listening right now um, what would you really want them to to know and and to to think about this conversation, but mostly to think about themselves
2: well i I think it all boils down to to what we've been talking about earlier it's it's you don't have to be young to have the best life you've ever had it's it's just not a, it's not a determining factor. It, that can be had at any age, and I think it's it's you have a better chance of having a fabulous life after 40 or after 50 because you're more interesting. You're you've got more to give back. You've got, I mean, it's the whole life you know cycle is about giving back, and we're in a position to do that now. When you're in your 20s and 30s, I mean, you're singularly self-absorbed. Because you're looking, you know, you want a mortgage on a house you can't afford probably. You're trying to get your career off the ground. You're raising future little world leaders. You're, I mean, you're busy, busy, busy all the time. And it's about climbing and growing and getting and, and as it should be. But there comes a time when you get to be my age when you're on the other side of the mountain and you're coming down and you're saying, you know, what can I do to give back now? What do I have to offer? And if at 60 we don't think we have anything left to offer, that's that, very scary. So I want women to understand that we have so much to give. We're not old and we're not invisible. So that's kind of – that's my point. It's just I get there through laughter.
1: Well, I I think that that's a wonderful point because I really believe – that we are we are so ageist in our society and we need this kind of voice It says you know i there are lots of people that i've met as clients and in other situations who'll say the best part of their life was someplace in the past some people say well, oh. in high school or college or other and i actually feel sad for those people when i hear that because what i'm interested in is is kind of what you're talking about is
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What if the best part was to come? What if you are in the process now of creating the best part of your life? What if you look at your can. life that way?
2: I, wrote, I, I that wrote an essay about that one that was up on my blog, and it was exactly that premise. Is When people come up to me and say, oh, that was my wedding picture. That was the happiest day of my life. That was 30 years ago. Are you kidding me? Like the happiest day of your life and it's over? I, I i feel like you do kinda of, it's kind of a sad thing to say it is so Vicky, and, then, and I
1: think get, that
0: go ahead I was going to ask Vicky, how do you get somebody to make baby steps because seem like it's, it's the first thing would be for a person to recognize they have to change their thought process
2: mhm would
0: would you agree with that,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. On how they view a situation. First of the thing, they have to really look at that in order to see the humor of the funny in it. Mm-hmm. But I guess my question would be, is, is there baby steps for a person like this, a person that's just coming out of a depressed situation that that don't see uh, the positive. They don't see how much they have to offer. They don't see how much they, you know, experience or what they have to contribute to a situation. Is there some baby mm-hmm. steps they could take? I mean,
3: oh, would you absolutely. suggest
0: little stuff like looking at themselves in the mirror if they see a wrinkle here, laugh at it, make fun about it, or mm-hmm. I mean, is it some baby steps that that you could take? Maybe a few examples, of little things that to get them started in the positive road.
2: Oh, absolutely. And the baby steps are fun because they're easy and they have immediate results. And one of the things I tell women to do is if you, if you want to make a change in the result, you have to make a change in the process. So look at what you're doing or saying or thinking that is, is making you so insecure or, or so lost as to what you can give. And this sounds really silly, but the first thing I tell women to do is throw away their scale. That bathroom scale is one of the single biggest hits to women's self-esteem ever invented.
3: Mm-hmm. You I just agree. Just toss
2: it, give it to Goodwill. I threw mine out in the driveway and drove over it in my husband's truck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with this, you know. Because think about it. I mean, we are so, and that's how we learn to to define whether or not we're gonna have a good day is what we weigh. And we get on the scale and we say, Yeah, I'm still fat. Well, this day's just gone south, and you haven't even had coffee. So it. it Causes so much negative self talk. I said to women, just throw it away. Just it's gone. You'll know if you're if you're gaining weight because your clothes won't fit. So then just dial it down until they fit again. You don't need numbers staring at you every day, especially the ones you don't like to see.
1: I think so getting you know, rid of scales is really important step in in the self esteem process. I I,
0: I, do I too. think uh,
1: it's just truly important. It can be a highly a very powerful object that, as you said, if you get up in the morning, the first thing you do is get on the scales, and it is not going in the direction you want. It can actually Mm -hmm. ruin the rest of your day.
2: I know. I've I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Women Mm -hmm. talk to me all the time about, well, if I would just lose this, this last 10 pounds, and I said, well, how do you know you have 10 pounds to lose? Well, because I weigh 180, and I need to weigh 170, or I weigh 110, and I need to weigh 100 pounds. And again, well, you only know that because you weigh yourself every day. Stop doing right. that. Stick it under the, the bed, real, throw it out the window, yeah, whatever.
1: right. The real question is, are you getting healthier, not that you weigh more or less? I think that's something that you can feel. But this whole idea of starting the day, what we focus on matters a lot, especially in the beginning. And I think that's, a really, that's really good advice. I, uh, I, You said you put it in the driveway and drove over it?
2: Nine times. But somebody else was
0: You was pretty pissed off at that scale.
2: (laughs) I was. I wasn't having a good moment. It did not say what I wanted it to say again. So no, it it became a frisbee. But my husband doesn't even doesn't even ask anymore when he comes home finds that kind of stuff. He just like says, "Okay, what do we have for dinner?" (laughs) <laughs> so he's used to it.
1: Well, what did you kill in the driveway today, Ricky? <laughs>
2: exactly. Nobody stands in the driveway when I back up anymore.
1: Oh boy,
3: that's funny. <laughs>
1: I, I I think it's it's um. You have a question here. I thought was a great one too. You said, "What has been your greatest compliment?" I'd love to hear Tell that me.
2: one. That one, actually, that one was was pretty cool. It was was shortly after I had published my first book. It was like three months later. And I was at a big event. And this is going to sound so silly, but it just was amazing. So I was at a big event, and um, everybody was going around introducing themselves and whatever, and it was kind of in our local community. And so this woman came up and introduced herself to me, and I said, you know, my name is Vicki Claflin. And she went, oh, my God, you're the writer. And I thought, Mm -hmm. oh God, if there's a rapture, suck me up now. I'm done. My work's done. So it was the first (laughs) time anybody ever said to me, "You're the writer." And I thought, I am. I am the writer. It's just like I said to my husband. I just thought, okay, end of the world. That's okay. I'm ready. I've done my work now. That's
1: beautiful. That's beautiful.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, when you're go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm good.
1: Okay. I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm thinking about that, and I think, you know, uh, that's a it, – it, it says a lot, you know, what we feel as important compliments. And mm-hmm. I've been debating if I wanted to ask you the other question that you put down about that. <laughs> I didn't know if I really wanted to ask you or not, but you put it down, so I'm going to ask <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh God! What, what, question, they... what question would that be? It wasn't. What did the scale say before she made it into a frisbee? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, she didn't write How much that did down. I <laughs> when I threw
1: my scale away? Yeah. She, she wrote this stuff down. I mean, I'm just—I asked her to, to, you know, to come up with some stuff that we could talk about with her. <laughs> I she came I, up with I the was, great I was document. trying
0: to save you, Matthew. <laughs> you
1: didn't save yeah. me? Oh, thank you, thank you. Well I, was, I mean? I'm gonna blame it on Vicky. Vicky put it down there. I didn't put it. Down. Oh, okay. she did. This is Vicky stuff here, man. She put it down. What has been your toughest criticism?
2: Oh yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs> well, it's I, I don't I know got if it you could, it was on call... the list,
1: huh? Yeah,
2: you know, I did. You want I to did. Take
1: that question and put it in the driveway and drive over to eight or nine times. <laughs> nine right, nine
2: times. Well, actually, my my toughest criticism—I don't know if it's literally a, a tough a criticism, but it was in that in that genre. I, when, I, when I finished the manuscript, who left the cork out of my lunch, so I went to several agents in New York to talk and send, send in the manuscript and all this kind of stuff. And there was one gentleman I really wanted to work with. He would have been fabulous. And he sent me a letter back, and he said, oh, I loved your book. You're so funny, but your humor is a little old-fashioned. And I thought, what does that mean? So I started crowdsourcing a little bit and so he, of course he said i don't think i can sell it so I have a nice life and i hope it does well so i asked i was so disappointed but i approached um some editors that i know and a couple of other agents and i said what does what does old-fashioned sense of humor mean and they said well number one you don't use the f word in your writing you're not snarky enough and your references to sex are not explicit enough and i said and they never will be <laughs> i don't write about exclusive sex i'm sorry i don't I mean, I write about sex, not exclusive sex. And so I thought, well, I you know, if that's how he feels, then he said, too Irma, Bombeck, and not enough Margaret show." So I just thought, well, hmm, what can you do? So that was, it, that was it took me a long time to wrap my mind around that.
1: So you've made peace with it?
2: Well, I it did It doesn't because, sound like you
1: changed. You didn't change, right? Yeah,
2: no, I haven't. I did not change my writing at all. Mm-hmm. And so the interesting part was, that three weeks after this book was out, I just have to say this one little brag thing: that I was number one in humor genres on the same day in the U.S., Canada, UK, and Australia. Wow! So somebody out there doesn't want to use the F word in every sentence. So I said fine. I just not. I just don't write like that. So, but it was it was nice to, nice to see the rankings. So I mean, it took away the sting of. Your humor is old-fashioned.
1: Oh. Well, it's great that you didn't give up.
2: No, I just... Well, the, the, he made it easy because the, the things that he wanted me to write about, I just never will. So it wasn't... I didn't have to, you know, say, gee, I wonder if I could weave it in. I wonder if I can... Yeah. I'm just never going to write like that. My my humor is, is pretty clean, and it's all focused... All the embarrassing stuff is focused at me. I don't make fun of anybody else in my writing, and know, that may be Hollywood. <laughs>
1: well, as a writer, and, I, and I've done a lot of thinking about this over the years, I agree with you. And I think it's it's very important for people who are serious about their writing to stay true to themselves about it
3: mm-hmm. and
1: not to write too much to an imagined audience.
3: But mm, to like write
1: from you yeah. Or whoever they think the imagined audience is, because yeah. you know you're unique in being Vicky, and and who you are needs to come through. And you don't want to give yourself up to that idea. You lose yourself in the process. And it's oh, I great think that you that, that your was
2: voice, like, for sure.
1: exactly. That's what I was thinking, you're going to lose your voice, and you have to write for a while to find it, and you sure don't want to give it away to somebody else's vision of who you should be or could be and I think that's that's a good story because i I hope that there there's probably a lot of people out there right now listening to this, and I would imagine especially women who are thinking about writing and are thinking, I'm working with a client right now who is 52 years old. She's writing her first book, and it has some humor in it and, and some mm-hmm. life lessons in it, and I've been really encouraging her. She says to me, well, I don't know if this is funny enough, and I say to her, write what your heart tells you to write. Mm-hmm. That's,
2: that's Don't worry. I, that, see, people ask me that now, too. They say, you know, well, I've always wanted to write, da 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 and I said to them, you know what, if you want to write, the best advice I can give you, write. Yes. You know, find the time, find the motivation, find your voice. And one of the best places the, the, today for new writers to start out is to get a blog, because the blog gives you an instant way to test the waters. You put mm-hmm. something out there, it only stays out there for a couple of days. You see them? if people, re- it resonates with anybody. And, you know, then they'll say like, like that woman you were talking about, she's not sure she's good enough. At the very beginning, you probably won't be because you haven't found your voice yet. But it doesn't matter because nobody's going to read it anyway. They don't even know you have a blog yet. So just put it out there. Just write and see where people start to respond. And then you'll find the direction you want to go in. And then when you get, by the time you get, find your voice and your style and you have a following, I tell them, go back and just delete all those first posts because they're terrible. So just don't even worry about it. They're going to be awful because you don't know you – you haven't found yourself yet. And blogs are easy ways to launch yourself and develop a sense of style that you know is going to resonate because it's done it on your blog.
3: And then that's you can take advice.
2: that material and, and work it into a book. But to go to all the time and the expense and the heartache of writing a book when you don't even know if you have any readers yet, that's tough. And a blog will get you that following. And they will give you instant feedback too. It's, you know, people will say, "Oh, this was just hilarious." I just didn't didn't get it. You know, we must have two different sense of humor. But so you get that instant feedback, and you know what people want from you. After I had no idea at the beginning of my blog that women were going to want, or and men were going to want marriage advice from me. I'm thinking, who takes marriage advice from me? I've been married three times. So, but it's been fun, and and they are consistently my my most popular posts. Can so, I
0: answer your question? Mm-hmm. The person that would take advice from you would figure you'd done it three times. You should have learned something by now.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what of that occurred to me. I'm a pro with this, you know. I mean, I know exactly what truth of marriage is. So, it's, yeah, that's probably true. But I, just, I new writers, I just tell them just to, just start writing. You know, everybody says that what they say. Everybody has a book in them, and I think that's probably true. So, you know, get it out there, but. You'll be self publishing it for sure. I mean nobody takes any chances on new writers right now. You have to be prepared to truth. you know cut some checks and and get it published and then do your marketing and it's that was that was one of the toughest things for me to, to uh, for all of us that were new to learn is that it's ten percent the book, ninety percent marketing it otherwise you've got a garage full of books you've know, got two thousand books stacked in your garage.
1: I think you're giving really, really good advice uh, throughout this whole piece today. But it, but Thank this you. part I'm really interested in, too, because I, I know so many women who have creative abilities, who really have talent in many different mm-hmm. levels. I, I have clients who are artists, who are writers, who, who do different kinds of things with themselves, and they need that kind of encouragement from other women like that to say, hey, you know, if you want to write, write, put it out there. Absolutely. And now, now you have this idea, this thing that's available to us, that you know, 15 years ago, wasn't there, called a blog, is a, is a faster, more meaningful way to get information out there and test the waters. Mm-hmm. And what really happens, I think, is really good, and I'm sure it ha- you felt the same way, Vicky. is that once you write something and people really like it, it inspires mm-hmm. you to keep going yeah and motivation. you need
2: that because writing is yeah. very isolated it you're mm-hmm. it's a very isolating experience and you're yeah. and but and to go from zero to a book is you know what happens if that book tanks because you you went the wrong way or you tried to sound like somebody else that maybe you really admired or you you were afraid to say what you really thought so you wrote a soft a, you know watered down version you mm-hmm. now you've now you've gone to all the emotion and all the money to publish a book that flops. So if you'd have had a blog, you could have put it up there and realized that you know you either got no comments at all or the comments you got were not positive, and you would know you were going down a wrong road.
3: Yes. And so then you can
2: pull back and try something else. And it's you know, and as far as the blogs concerned, anything you don't, if you put it up there and it doesn't get good response and and you don't like it, take it down. <laughs> if you can't undo a book, once it's out there, it's out there. <clears throat> So it's you know it's kind of a two-step process, but I think it makes the book a lot more likely to succeed. And the other thing I would tell women is there's so much room there. There is so much room out there for if they want, because mm-hmm. I cause I, he, I hear that a lot. Well, there's 50 million mommy bloggers. Well, now there'll be 50 million and one, and maybe you'll be better than 49 million of those.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You, you just never know. Just because there's a lot of midlife writers doesn't mean there's a lot of good midlife writers. I mean, there are people oh, that I'm so in awe of that you know, I sit there with my little book and think, Oh, okay, this is just great, it did so good today and then I find out some woman sold a million and she's on Oprah next week, you know what I mean? so, so you gotta throw out the comparison thing. You are where you are and if you feel good about it then go with it. You know, I, I think sounds, that's really, right.
1: really important. That's really important advice. Back in the early 80s, I was living in San Diego, and there was a guy there who had just written a book about men's issues, and it was a bestseller. And he did a workshop, and I went to the workshop, and he said to everybody there, he said, I know at least three other guys who could have written this book, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. I did it. And I took put the effort there. And it doesn't have to be totally unique. It needs to just to be you.
2: Thank you. That's exactly. I had. There's nothing in my book you couldn't get anywhere else. It's. It's not original. It's unique. There's a difference.
0: Mm But I. What
2: I have in this book is. Is I mean menopause is menopause is menopause. How many books have been written about hot flashes? Like a billion. So now there's a billion and one. But it's in my voice, which is what makes it unique. And if people like, you know, the way I think about things, they're going to think it's hilarious. If they don't, then they can read somebody else's book because there's a lot of them out there. But you know, I love this process. It, I was really passionate about it. It was all-consuming for a year, and and it's you know, so like you feel like you have had a baby. You know, it's
3: yeah. <laughs> my little baby. Yeah. I
2: pet it every day, and so and I love it, and I think it's good, and I think it's funny, and and there's all sorts of common sense in there. But you, you can't. You have to develop a tough skin in this industry, as you know, because you write, but. That's what the other piece of advice I give them is if you're not thick-skinned, get there, because when people comment or send you letters where they don't mince words. I mean, they just said like, "What the hell happened to chapter three?" I mean, I'm going, oh, so it's you know, it's, it's interesting. And if you if you take that kind of criticism to heart, you won't make it in this business. Use Oh,
1: good advice. So, good advice. That's great. I like that. You know, there's a there's a I know we're almost at the end of our conversation, but there's a quick little Jewish story I'll tell you that fits for this. There's a, a story that uh Rabbi Zusha, who used to who was a, a very revered rabbi, said when he dies and meets God, God is not is gonna say to him he's not gonna say to him, Why weren't you Abraham? He's gonna say to him, Why weren't you Zusha? Meaning, I created mm-hmm. you to be who you are. You be that person. You don't have to be somebody else. I didn't make you that way. And I think when it comes to writing and creating anything, it is important, as you said, to be unique and to mm-hmm. be who you are because you're already there. About that, you are nobody else is like you.
0: Very That's good true. advice. That's true. Vic, Vicky, what is your favorite inspirational quote for uh, our listeners?
2: Oh, probably probably my Kathy Candy quote that I've got on my walls right now that I that I told you earlier because I'm turning sixty and I'm I'm going oh my god! And again, you don't have to be twenty one to have your whole life ahead of you. I just love that. To me, right now, that's getting me through my birthday.
1: When's your birthday?
2: My birthday's in September.
1: September, happy birthday!
0: That's Thank a really good one.
2: I, I I think we could use that for men too, right? Absolutely, I think it's it's gender proof Because that's true for men too I mean, you know, when you gender guys are, get your your midlife crisis, whatever You don't have to be 21 and drive a Ferrari And have a 20-year-old seatmate in the car It's just, you know, the, the most amazing part of our life I still hope the happiest day of my life is coming Not that it's over
0: Matt, what do, what do men do when they have midlife crisis? I don't know what that is exactly
1: You don't know what it is? know what is that that's because <laughs> you're still in yours man you don't know because you're still in it <laughs> <Your> <laughs> <own>. <laughs> what do they do yeah. what do they do in that midlife crisis yeah. i remember midlife kind of vaguely back there i remember I, I you know it depends on the depth and the maturity of the man what they do with mm. it um the the union psychotherapist who followed carl jung's um psychological way of talking in depth psychology say that what we need to do when we're men in, in, in midlife is to go deeper into ourselves and find access to our soul and express that in our lives in a meaningful way. And other guys just go out and get a Porsche and a blonde. Yeah. And yeah. neither one really works. And so I think that there's a range between the portion of the blonde and the person who is really willing to take a deep look at himself and find out some more meaning and purpose in life. There's a lot of ranges in between that. But I I tend to encourage the men that I work with to go towards the soul and to look for their own soul and see how they want to express that more in their lives rather than – you know, walk away from what you got and go surface and yeah. shallow.
2: Which invariably crashes and burns big time.
1: It does. But it does.
2: Anyway, yes.
1: So Vicky, um we'd like for you to tell people how to get in contact with you, how to access what you are you're doing, how to get your book, if you could just give us a little bit of, do a little commercial on yourself right now. That'd be perfectly <laughs> okay with us.
3: Oh, thank you. I'm Um, (laughs) sharing
2: this plug. Who Left the Cork Out of My Lunch is available, of course, on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, iTunes. Um, And then my first book, which is called Shake, Rattle, and Roll With It, Living and Laughing with Parkinson's, that one is also available on Amazon, iTunes, and Barnes & Noble. And you can go to my blog. I'd love to have you there. It's uh, laugh hyphen Lines dot You got to have that hyphen in there. Laugh lines dot net, and then you'll see all kinds of fun things. And that's, well, that's Vicki, to it's,
3: it's
1: been it's been great talking to you, and I I hope that uh, a lot of women and men will start reaching out to you more than have before because of this opportunity. And I appreciate all you shared with us. And uh, I hope Lamont was listening because he needs a lot of help over there in LA. <laughs> I,
0: absolutely, I'm gonna go in, in, <laughs> and 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 read some of this stuff and figure out what did I go through in my midlife crisis. Yeah, but, you but have again, one. Vicky, you had one. Oh, on behalf of Can Player Play, we definitely appreciate you for taking the time and
2: thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun and,
0: and chatting with us. And we know you're gonna have great success with your books and. uh we hope you come back and uh, visit us in the near future.
2: Wonderful. I would love to. I would. Thank love you, to. thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you so much. This is Vicky Claflin, and I said it right, even <laughs> if my did. colleague didn't. You did. I said it right, <laughs> Mrs. Vicky Claflin. Right. Thank you. I'm losing your steam
1: over here in Boca Raton.
0: Perfect. You guys go pick up her book. Uh, it's available on her website and all that good stuff she just mentioned. And you can get this show too on iTunes and other podcasts and you can definitely get it at worldmovement.com blogtalkradio.com forward slash player you can get it there too uh, share it with your friends share it with your neighbors share it with your neighbors' neighbors just make sure everybody hear it because I know there's something that you could take out of this that will help you daily I think I said enough Dot
1: I think you did a good job Of closing this sucker out.
0: (laughs) All righty then. (laughs) Blessings.
1: Blessings.